Support for the Woj Podcast comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website, choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website that you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their own website, so create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X dot com slash Woj, W-O-J, to get 10% off. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here in Minneapolis with Los Angeles Clippers coach Doc Rivers, fifth place in the Western Conference. Clippers, Doc, when you played as many seasons and coached and been around pro basketball, I would think there comes a point where when you have teams, they remind you of something else. They remind you of a team, a group, something you had along the way. Have you felt that with this group this year? It's funny. Well, this group reminds me of my first year coaching, but more talented. That was the year in Orlando. We had a team that, you know, if you remember, we were predicted to be the worst team in NBA history. Uh, Sports Illustrated thought we were going to break the Sixers record. Right. They did a ranking before the season of 300 players. We didn't have one on the list. But what we found out about that team later, years later, that team witness had more talent than people thought. Number one, Ben Wallace, uh, we traded for, played on that team. Daryl Armstrong played on that team. Chucky Atkins played on that team. Pat Garrity. So no great superstars, but we are pretty good. And we ended up winning 41 games. The difference in this team and that team, same heart, same toughness. Pat Pat Beverly brings that for us. Is we have closers. Yeah. You know, I think about the Clippers teams that I had in the past. You know, Chris was kind of a closer, but not you know with his size, not a great closer. Other than that, we didn't have a closer. We were out talented every team, but at the end of every game, we didn't have a guy that you can just trust to go to. This team is not as talented. But we have Gal and Lou at the end of games that are going to get great shots and make most of them make great decisions. So it's why we win a lot of close games. I think it's funny. You mentioned Lou Williams, and that was one – to me, that was what told everybody the Clippers are not tanking. Yeah. Right? You didn't at the trade deadline just dump them for whatever assets you could get. You signed them to what was a pretty – I don't want – when I say team-friendly contract, I don't mean – then it sounds like it's not a good contract for him. And if you look at what guys got in the summer, I thought Lou and his agent, Wallace Prather, did a pretty good job because the money everybody thought might have been out there for him. It was smart, and he wanted to be in L.A. But that was the one where he said, nope, we're going to do this. We're not bottoming out here. And I thought Lou was a good example because we can keep winning games with this guy. Yeah, we believe that. Now, you lose Tobias and you lose you know, uh, Scott and um, Bobby. That is a lot. Yeah. Um, and from a coaching standpoint, you know, when I was talking with Lawrence and the staff, we didn't know how much we could win. But I kept saying, guys, I, I swear, I think we can win with this team. Now, the, the guys who have come in on our team that are better, uh, Sham, for the way I use guards, was perfect because we needed more movement. And Sham does that for us. Uh, Jamaica is way better. 
than I thought. You know, he's a great role player for our team. And it's kind of given us we're better in some ways. We're definitely a better defensive team. And, you know, offensively, it's kind of put guys in the exact roles they should be in. Gal now is the feature guy in the starting lineup where before he really wasn't. You know, uh, Lou, we know who he is. Sham, we use for shooting. So it's kind of in a strange way put people in the exact position that they should be in. And listen, uh, getting zoo, people don't talk about that. As your starting center, it allows Trez to stay in his role. That was huge for us. When you can play and show people what it looks like and you go into free agency and this summer, next summer, and years you have space and where you – where you want to plug in a star player, right? And stars largely want to play with great role players, right? Yes. They want guys who do the dirty work, and I think that's been part of your philosophy. Now, if you're tanking and the thing's gutted and you're going to sign two stars, then we're going to build a roster around you, you're still giving a pretty big hypothetical. It feels like with the Clippers, you can say, this is what it looks like, this is what it feels like. Now imagine yourself around it, and that's a different situation than almost – than most of them. Brooklyn's similar, I think. Yeah, it's Brooklyn you, is the only yeah. team similar. And, you know, one of the things that I talked about it early on in the front office with Lawrence and Michael Winger and those guys, I told them to go back and look at Orlando. We had a chance of signing Tim Duncan. We uh, He decided to stay in San Antonio. We had a chance to sign, I, I think it was Eddie Jones, yeah. and he wanted to come. Yeah. At one point, there was a night where we thought Tim was going to say yes Tracy, Grant, and Eddie all at the same time. Now we had money for two. Yeah. And we were literally sitting in the room. Okay. What two <laughs> do we want here? You know, and Tim was the easy one. Yeah. But then it came down to Tracy McGrady and Grant Hill. Mm-hmm. And that was one heated discussion. Uh, but the reason they wanted to come, in my opinion, was because of that team that I mentioned that I love coaching and went 41 and 41. They saw all those role players. They saw guys playing fast, hard, and fun. And they imagined themselves with all those role players. And you hit on it right. I think most people think stars just want to join a bunch of stars. Those stars want the right role players around them to make them even better stars. And clearly they need another star with them as well. That's why I think this works. When's the last season you felt like you enjoyed the job coaching as much as you seem to be enjoying yourself this year? Oh, wow. that That's a good question. You know, the first three years in Boston with KG and those guys, they were great. You know, um, a lot of things had to go right. Mm-hmm. KG was the savior of that group because he wanted to win. He'd had everything else. He was over him. And that pushed Ray and Paul. They had to join in uh, because of Kevin's leadership. Other than that, my first year in Orlando, you know, um, Mike Breen, the great broadcaster, I, uh, very good friend of mine. He texted me last week. He said, are you having as much fun as I think you're having? I said, you know, as a coach, there's days you want to drive to practice going 35 and a 55. <laughs> and then there's days you want to drive 75 and a 55. I said, I'm doing a hundred every time I get in the car. I want to get to my guys. And that's how you feel. It's a great feeling. Doc, when you look at the group of you that were doing both jobs in the NBA, things can go in cycles. And it was Tom Thibodeau. We're, we're in Minnesota now. We're across the street. Tom Thibodeau here and Stan Van Gundy, Detroit, Mike Boonholzer, Atlanta, and you. Out of the four, 
you're the only one still left who had both titles. Why do you think you're still in your job? And not judging the individual, but they all, for different reasons, left or pushed out. You're still here. Why do you think it was different for you? Oh, it's, it's a good question. I think the answer is there's a lot of answers. But one is I'm the one who brought Lawrence in. And it would have been interesting if they had said, hey, we're taking your power away or your position away and we're going to hire someone else. I, the, new, the new guy would want you out. You'd yeah. be a threat to him. And, and yeah. I would have not, yeah. you know, and I mean, there's no way I would have been here without Lawrence uh, staying. You know, that's number one. Number two, it was the job was too big to do. And I realized that early on. Now, we didn't have any resources. You know, our, our office, our front office was a joke. We had four people in the entire front office for a while. And so I had actually told Lonnie that I don't know if I want to give this title up. Lonnie, uh, Lonnie, Lonnie Cooper. Cooper yeah. yeah. But I knew that this title, you just needed more people to do it. And so when, you know, Steve approached me about it, you know, as long as I kept my say, like that's all you want as a coach. You want the front office and you to be a team. You want the front office and you to be able to work together. The ego part, you know, it hurts for about a minute. Mm-hmm. And for me, I realized early on that I'm a coach. I thought I wanted to be everything. And I realized coaching is really good, you know. And that's the reason why I think I'm still here because my ego told me, you know what, you are a coach. And just be that and be happy with that. And, and that's where I got to. You mentioned Lawrence, and I think even when Lawrence came he was in Boston with you and he comes to LA on your staff. You had talked about his, that he wanted to move toward the front office. Yeah. You know, people, when he did his deal in Brooklyn, when he went on Jason Kidd's staff, I remember, I think one of the last year the deal might have been, he'd moved to the front office. So it wasn't like a new conversation, but I, I think too, you were together long enough that you sort of had a shared idea of the kind of player you wanted and the people you wanted. You weren't, you were aligned in that way before he ever moved upstairs, right? It's huge. Lawrence knows me as well as any front office guys know his coach. There's no GM in basketball that knows his coach better than Lawrence knows his coach. We were on the staff together. He knows how I tick. He knows players that drive me nuts. He knows exactly what I want to be a good coach. And, you know, he even talks me out of players now that I think I want to tell me, Doc, I'm telling you, that's not your type of player. He says it all the time. And it's really interesting you say that because I see it in so many instances where you've got front office guys and, and either they don't get along with the coach or they don't see it the same way or you have a staff out there that it's one thing to identify talent, but in context of can he play for our guy or they're thinking, well, maybe we're drafting this guy or training for him for the next guy anyway. But to have – when you have a president who sends them out on the road with, here's what we're looking for, here's who we want and how he fits Doc, that's pretty rare. That's not, it, it exists in the NBA, but it doesn't exist. It's rare. In it exists in San Antonio, mm-hmm. and it used to exist in Utah with Jerry Sloan. Mm-hmm. And that's the model that I always use. Like, the Jazz had good teams year in and year out. They had the 25th pick every year. Yep. And yet they drafted the perfect guy right. every year. Right. And that's because, they number one, they knew who their coach was. Yeah. And number two, they knew what their coach wanted. And, you know, Danny and I had that relationship. Yep. But Danny and I went back and forth on a lot of guys. Danny, at the end of the day, there were days we agreed to disagree. Sometimes he was right. Sometimes I was right. 
But Danny was never on my staff, and I think that makes it even better here. I feel safe. I feel um, you're happy working. You're happy coming to work. And a lot of people don't know Lawrence. Uh, they know him more as a coach. The one thing that I even shake my head at Lawrence, there's many days as Lawrence, go home. Lawrence, he works. That's what stood out with me to Danny as well. Danny, I never saw during the season. He's on the road. Yeah. He found out stuff that no one else could find out. And Lawrence does the same thing. And so when you're a coach and you know you have a guy out there doing that, it makes you go to bed and feel very good at night. Well, the coaches who are always worried sometimes are the GMs who are always on the road with the team and they're eating in the press room before the game and you're like, shouldn't you be out looking for players yeah, somewhere, that, right? That, that model does not work. <laughs> no. Yet a lot of GMs still do I that. I mean, there's times where you need to be on the road and you go on a trip here or there, but it can't be all the time. No, and there's times you shouldn't be with the team all the time. And when you see that, you know, well, that's not going to work very long. The bottom line that I, I keep learning, and I never stop learning, it's my 100th year in the NBA, it feels like, if you're not a team from coach to front office, you're not going to have a good team on the floor. It's tough for me to tell my players to act like a team when my coaching staff and my front office doesn't act like a team. You know, I use this thing all the time, like, go first. Well, you guys go first. <laughs> you know, well, we're going first. We're actually showing people you can change jobs, you can get fired, you can still work for the same organization, and you can buy into your row and be a team. Players, it's tough for them to say we don't do that because we all have done that. You look at everybody in our front, we've changed jobs, um, and everybody gets along, and that's how it has to be. Hey, let's be honest. Have you looked at your interest rate lately? Even if you have good credit, the average interest rate on credit card debt is over 18% APR. That's nuts. When you have rates like that, the debt just keeps climbing instead of getting lower. Be smart, refinance your high interest credit card balances, and save a bunch with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. You can get a rate as low as 6.14% APR with AutoPay. And that rate is fixed. It never goes up. You can get loans from $5,000 up to $100,000, and there are no fees. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Listen, when you have good credit, you deserve great service and a low-interest fixed-rate loan from Lightstream. And now you can save even more. My listeners get an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash woj. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Woj. Lightstream, that's lending uncomplicated. Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Woj, W-O-J, for more information. Got to catch the game on the go? No worries. Metro by T-Mobile has you covered. Switch to Metro and get coast-to-coast coverage on a network that covers 99% of people in the U.S. Now you'll catch all the action almost anywhere you go. Plus, you'll save a ton over what you're paying with Verizon or the other big guy. Switch to Metro and get on a big network for way less. Coverage may vary, so please see the store for details. Now's the time to score big with Metro. Switch and get on a big network for way less Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. How different is that dynamic between you and Steve Ballmer just as coach versus 
when you had to answer to him about everything, is it easier to have a relationship in this? Yeah, it's, it's so much easier. The main thing is when you ask me about a coach thing, I know what I'm talking about every time. You know, I, I've, I've done this. I love what I do. I'm pretty good at it. Um, so I love having debates with him. Uh, when it's just about coaching, because I feel like, ooh, I'm going to be right today, <laughs> you know. But uh, as far as front office stuff, you know, there's t- things I didn't know. Uh, hopefully Dave Wool knew it or, or, or Lawrence in the first year knew the answer. I was too busy coaching. I literally didn't have the answer. And so he would ask me about a college player in the middle of a basketball NBA season. Hey, have you seen this guy? Uh, no, not seen him. You know, those questions, if an owner asked that to your GM or president that I was, you know, I started thinking the president should actually know the answer. And the fact that I didn't know the answer told me I shouldn't be in that job. But your ego makes you want to keep the job for a while. And then when you realize all's good, giving it away, it's easy. But we have so many good – we talk once a week, uh, no matter what. Now, there's days we talk five days a week. But if Steve's doing something or I'm on the road, we're going to make a time every week just to talk. There's been many times you got anything – I really don't have a thing. Right. <laughs> and we talk about something else, and that makes your relationship solid. The idea, too, of he was a new owner, and he's learning the league, and he's learning how an organization should run. And Steve is a guy who's going to quite like that's what's made him who he is, right? Questioning how things go. Why do we do it? Well, just because we've always done it, or is it all those things? And you're doing that with somebody you're building a relationship with. He's trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure out a new job. That, that's a lot of stuff going on at once. Yeah, it, it is. And, and he still was learning, you know, um, like he still doesn't understand if we play poorly, like, you know, we're better than shouldn't we win this game? Like he's getting that, but it, it's, it's not, he doesn't understand like these, you know, at times these are humans playing and there's going to be days they just don't play well. And there's nothing you can do about it. I think he's better at that now than he was, you know, early on, he's like, if you just, you know, his boom, bang, if you come in, you're going to win. No, Steve, they're actually better and most likely they're going to win. Or no, we're, we're played four games in five days. We're just not ready to play. You know, it happens. And I think uh, him learning that better is good. You know, for me, you know, what Steve did last summer, you know, we're negotiating a deal and you know, we're going back and forth. I said, you know, Steve, I want three or four years. I don't want more than that, but I want a three or four year guarantee. No, oh, Doc, you know, I'm still trying to figure things out. I don't want to do that. So we ended up, and a lot of people didn't know this, Lonnie tells me, Lonnie Cooper, where we're at. We're still on this extra year, just add extra year. And so I called Lonnie and said, let's do the extra year, but I get an out. And Lonnie's like, excuse me? I said, I want an out. So tell Steve that we'll take the year uh, right after the season. He can say, we want to keep you. Mm-hmm. And then I, afterwards, it had to be me go second on this one, get to say, you know what? I'm good. I want to buy out where they, I could just walk. And I thought that was so fair because I don't know what coach has ever had a buyout in this contract. And I thought, you know what? If I don't want to be here, even if things are going well, I just don't feel that I can walk. And to me, that allowed me to come into this year in a great place, I guess you would say. In the middle of the year, we both, Steve and I both knew that we were going to end up tearing everything up and doing it over. That was the purpose of the buyout. Uh, If it works, I knew we would tear it up. 
if it didn't work, I can go somewhere else and everybody's happy. And that's the way I looked at this season. Part of the reason I think coaches wanted to have the front office power was that it gave you this clout with your team and it gave you this hammer that maybe allowed you to theoretically like they can't go around me yeah. and I'm going to be here. And I think a lot of guys thought that going into it. Did it end up being that having both titles created a different dynamic? No, it hurt you. It hurt you because there's no move now. Doc did it. That's right. Yeah, you know, Doc, Doc did right. this. Because if, if the player's thinking the GM won't pay me and the coach said, hey, I believe in you, I don't – well, you do – you're in charge of it, right? Uh, yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah, right? and ownership. But yeah. it was me. That's number one. It's funny. I wanted it for two reasons. I wanted it because I wanted to think – I thought I could build a championship team. And then the second one was what you said that I think is overlooked a lot. Most coaches feel like if a player can go over you to talk to the front office and the front office backs them, then it's a death sentence for the coach. And honestly, it is. That's why with Lawrence, you know, Lawrence, typically if someone wants to talk, well, go talk to Doc. If it's about a contract, come on in. It works perfect in our relationship. Lawrence, me and Lawrence have had sit-downs with players and their representative. I don't typically want to do that. Lawrence does all that. So it allows me to get out of situations that I shouldn't be in anyway. It allows the player to feel more trust as well. So it it, it is important that the coach feels like front office has his back. I know if a player is upset at me when his agent calls about playing time, I know for a fact Lawrence is not going to say, well, I'll talk to Doc and we'll get him 30 minutes. That's never going to happen. And that allows me to feel good as a coach. When you brought Austin in and you imagined how it would go, and I remember talking to you before you did it and you were weighing what it would mean for him, what it would mean for you. When you look back on it, do you say it was a weight for both of us? It was a joy it was somewhere in between. How do you look back at what you... It's funny. It's both. It was a weight for both of us. It was a joy for both of us. The day that I called him and traded him, you know, I was in tears because I'm trading my son, who I love, and yet he was the one that was great about it. And all he kept saying was, I'm out of the league if someone didn't believe in me. I am. And the fact that you believed in me makes our relationship even better. You know, Austin said, I think the weight for Austin, I think it hurt him in some ways. You know, it helped him become a player. Mm-hmm. It hurt him that he didn't get validation. When, when you look at some of the things he's did with us, you know, his numbers and his playoff performances, anyone else would have looked, been looked right. upon as a solid NBA player. And the deal, essentially a throwaway late second round pick. Yeah. It was basically, you got him for nothing and you look at the productivity there. It was a really good deal. It was a good deal. It was a great deal for us. And, you know, but it was because it was my son. And I actually didn't, I was too naive on that one to get the angst that it would create. And it really did create. He also became the easy way out. Like if a player uh, got cut or traded or moved and wanted to get back at you, well, their way was not through me. Well, let me attack Austin. And it was too bad for him. It makes him tough-skinned, clearly. But Austin always had to explain his relationship. And, you know, he wanted to always explain, well, you know, my dad and I aren't that close. Or my dad and I, he had to, he felt like he had to do those things to validate himself. And I got that. But I think at the end of the day, years from now, 
it's going to be great telling Austin stories about yeah. me coaching them. Uh, in the family thing, you know, right now we have our, our relationship is as good as it can be. You know, it's amazing how much we talk now. I told him recently the other day, we talk more now than we ever did when I was coaching you. And he's like, I didn't want to talk to you when I coach you. I saw you every day. So it's, it, it's overall, it was right in between. The reasons you wanted to be a coach, Doc, the reasons that drew you to it, Remember, like Pat Riley said to you kind of late in your career, you're gonna, you guys were going at it one day, right? Yeah. And he said, you're gonna coach someday, and you're like, never. Yeah. I don't ever want to be you. And you, I know you would think about that, but from why you wanted to do the job, how different is the job now? Do the same things hold true at the core? Has the job in this league changed so much that you almost don't recognize what you thought you were getting into? No, it's, it's, that's a, that's the first someone's ever asked that. It's a great question. Why I wanted to get into coaching, was because I wanted to win. I wanted to be a winner. I had this driving goal to be a world champion. I prayed every night when I was a kid, I want to be an NBA champion, never wanted as a player. Got close a couple of times, and I thought that's why. If you ask me now, that part is still there. Like, I, I winning isn't, I just, I love winning. I hate losing. I love winning. But now, the relationships. The kids, even some of the guys that I've coached that quite honestly couldn't stand me. Years later, they come back. And like when Perk calls you or, or Daryl Armstrong calls you or, or Rondo, which we had a rocky relationship in Boston that went up and down. Rondo and I talk weekly now. Kevin Garnett calls you. You realize that's why you coach. You know, you coach to be successful. You do everything in life to be, anyone that tells you they don't want to be successful is a liar. You know, but then it's the other stuff that makes coaching so cool. And for me, you know, watching Shea right now, you know, from where Shea was a rookie to where he's at now in his rookie year, but still riding him every day, knowing there's days he probably, I just wish he would go away. And I think Shea realized I'm not going, I'm going to stay on him because I do see greatness in him. And I do think it's my job and Shea's job to get it out of him. So that's why I still coach. Listen, guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable with rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. And I'm guilty of it myself. Well, the same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to get checked out by a doctor and get treated for ED online. Roman is a one-stop shop where licensed U.S. physicians can diagnose ED and ship medication right to your door. With Roman, there are no waiting rooms, awkward face-to-face conversations, or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. You can handle everything discreetly online. All you have to do is visit GetRoman.com slash Woj. Fill out a brief medical boarding, chat with a doctor, and get FDA-approved ED meds delivered to your door in discreet, unmarked packaging. Guys, go online and get checked by the doctor. Erectile dysfunction is a problem that guys don't tackle, but with Roman, it's really easy, so take care of it. For a free online visit, go to GetRoman.com slash Woj. That's GetRoman.com slash Woj, W-O-J, for a free online visit, GetRoman.com slash Woj. You talk about you wanted to win a championship, and so many guys, not so much players but whether it's management or coaching 
who you spend so many hours, right? Like the hours are different as a coach than as a player. The no. work is different. You, the hardest working player isn't putting in nearly as much. It's just different. Your body, you can't go the work. Things that I didn't know. Yeah, I mean, right. It really is. It's, it's amazing the difference. But when you win it and you win the championship in Boston, I always kind of would hear guys go, there'd be the day after, two days, three days, and they would feel like, well, my life's going to be changed. It's going to be, I'm going to be transformed by it. And then it's like, no, got to get ready for the draft, summer league. Is there a part, like, once you win it where you go, if that's all you have in your life or you want, that will not fulfill you? It will not fulfill you. It, it really won't. It won't. It's something that gives you fulfillment. And it may be no better fulfillment than that in your life, but that does not fulfill your life. It just can't. I mean, think about it. I didn't even go into the locker room. Uh, for the champagne. I, I think I'm the only coach in the history of the NBA that won a title and never went into the locker room after the game. You regret that. I do regret that. That was a bad mistake. But I had some stuff going on with my dad. Yeah. And so I went into the office, my office, and sat and smoked a cigar for about 10 minutes. No one was let in. And then after that, you know, I didn't know what to do. I went grocery shopping. <laughs> I honestly got went, you know, my family, we left. And um, we get back to my place. My mother-in-law is talking about cooking breakfast in the morning. I said, well, I'll just go to the store. I was at Shaw's at 12 o'clock at night <laughs> in the grocery store. But what you found the next day was I was already thinking about the next season, right. you know, which is crazy when you think about it. You, you would think you would walk around and just say, hey, everybody, no, the next literally a day later, I'm thinking about, okay, now we're going to lose a couple of guys. How are we going to rebuild this? And that, and it's just, you're back on the train. Listen, and you guys are a team that's living in that we're going to be big players in free agency. And so you're, you're part of this. Yeah. Does it sometimes feel like the league players or everybody, no one's ever in the now anymore? No, that, well, that's been lost. That's been lost, though I think the teams that are successful are in the now. Uh, I think we're in it now. And it's yeah. hard to stay there, right? It's hard to stay there, and it's hard to stay there day by day and game by game. I think there's moments where you can get your, your players to be in the now. But overall, it's tough to keep them there for a season. And, and fortunately, that's what we've done. Our guys understand. Think about our team. We're all free agents. All our players are free agents for the most part, but they're in. They've decided it's worth it. And it's, it was my job to get them to decide that. But you're so, when I, it makes me sick to, to hear like Golden State has a chance to win a title. Yet everyone's talking about free agency with them. Same thing when Toronto, all these places, uh, Boston, there's nothing wrong with a player being a free agent and saying, but this year I'm here and every thought is right here. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. No. And listen, I think there's a lot of, blame for that it's it's because the organizations are everybody's working toward it and they're focused on it and you have to be people in my profession we're doing it but the players are doing it too like they're Everyone's having it doing they're it. doing it and yeah. so this idea that there's always a lot of fingers pointed i think everyone shares i think it. everyone shares the blame yeah. the, here's the problem though one of the big problems to me is like you have a free agent on your team and he's let's say not the easiest to coach yeah. The bad organizations won't allow you to coach him because they're also thinking, well, we need him in the future. The uh, good organizations understand if you don't coach him, you're going to lose him anyway. That's right. And if you keep him, then you kept him because you coached him. And I think that's a fine line. I've had both sides of that. 
And when you side on the wrong side of that, you're going to be unsuccessful. How do you balance, Doc, as a coach? Listen, the players stay the same age. You get older. Yeah. I get older. Yeah. The players, they don't get older, right? Like yeah. they're just uh, there's a new group and they're the same age. And and you have kids who that helps because you sort of understand some things. But they're getting older and they're your kids, your, all your kids are starting to get older than, you know, the youngest player who's coming in the league. So how do you balance what my principles are, what I'm about, and how I'm going to do it versus I've got to understand who they are and there's times I have to make allowances for it? Well, you have to understand who they are. You know, Chuck Daly always talked about communication. You know, on his dying days, I asked him if he could coach over again, what would he do better? He said to communicate. And I was like, wait a minute, you're the best communicator in the business. He said, still not enough. You can't communicate enough with your players. And, and so that's important. But you can't just communicate with them to the point where all you're doing is listening to them and being them. They have to listen to you too. And so that's the lie. Like, um, how much of them do you want to take and how much of you do you want to give to them and to teach them? And, and you do learn. Like, it's amazing what you learn from, from some of these guys, you know, that their knowledge of the game and, you know, the, uh, I remember Dave Wool wrote an article of all people, uh, when he was, uh, with the Nets, he wrote a Sports Illustrated article about Daryl Dawkins. And the, basically it was a long article, but the very end of the article, it said, the only one that's happy about where Daryl Dawkins is, is in his career is Daryl Dawkins. This is what he wanted to be. Right. But every coach and GM spent hours trying to get him to be the greatest player of all time. No one found time to ask Daryl what he actually wanted to be. He just wanted to be a happy player in the NBA. And so that article, I always remember that. Like, you got to make sure your audience, like, and I mean audience by each individual player, who they want to be, what they want to be. All of them say they want to be great, but you know, most of them or half of them or more than half don't. They want to be as good as they need to be to get this. That's it. But there's some that do and some that have the talent to actually be. Doc, I know you like meeting, spending time with getting to know coaches in other sports. Yeah. Who last months, weeks, year, any new guys you got to know or you were curious about and you said, I'm going to seek that guy out or I, or I bumped into him and you just, you found some common ground. Well, I haven't bumped into him right now. It's more because I'm a Bears fan, but I want to meet him <laughs> because uh, he's a, he's different. You know, I love coaches now. Like, I, Izzo and I still talk all I mm-hmm. called him the other day because I love the questioning about him coaching. You know, <laughs> and I said, boy, this thing is getting crazy. Now you're, you're questioning if you coach. But there's these certain coaches. Uh, the one guy that I haven't met, and I can't think of his name, is the coach at Washington, the football coach, uh, Washington State. Oh, Mike Leach. Mike Leach. How does he tick? Like, I know it's, it's offbeat, but I love guys like that because they're doing it their way. They're doing it the way they see it, and their way is rational. And those are the guys that really make me tick. Like, I want to, there's something in him that I can learn. I don't know what it is, but that's one of the guys I'd love to bump. I will bump into him at some point. That to me, I think it's one of the hardest things in coaching and, and maybe any, but especially that where you're out there every day and you're in front of the players every day, you're in front of the public every day of not trying to be somebody. Sometimes you think I've got to play the role of a coach or, that guy's successful, so let me try to do it like he's doing it. To, I guess, have the confidence to say, I'm going to be who I am, and it might be different, and people don't recognize it and say, there's not a guy like that. Do I hire him? Do I keep him? It, to me, it takes some courage to just to not go outside of that. 
Well, you know, it was interesting. My first three years, I was the offense and defensive coach. I did everything. Everyone heard my voice. And then I uh, I went to John Gruden and watched them practice. And we went into the defensive meeting. And uh, I can't remember the great defensive coach that the, he was there at the, with the Buccaneers for years. Oh, uh, Kiffin, Monty Kiffin. Yeah, Monty Kiffin. Yeah. And I walk, we walk in, and Warren Sepp turns around and looks at Gruden and I'm like, what are you doing here? And, he's, and John said, no, he's the defensive guy. I'm never in here. And I said, what do you mean you're never in here? You're the head coach. He said, yeah, Doc, you have a defensive coordinator, an offensive coordinator, and you run the team. And from that day forward, I said, I'm doing this. Now, everyone told me you can't do that. Like, uh, you can't do that. You know, then people would think you're not coaching the team. Mm-hmm. So, no, I'm coaching the team. I'm coaching the coaches and the team now, but it allows me freedom. And so it's funny when I hired Tom Thibodeau. The best day was the first day of training camp, you know, Tom and I, you know, we come from Dick Harder and Pat Riley and Jeff and Gundy. We all were mm-hmm. coached. There. And so the first day of practice, we had already decided how we wanted to work. Tom starts putting the defense in, and I walk out of the gym. And Tom stops. and says, where are you going? And in front of the players. I was like, I'll be back. And I just kept walking. So after practice, Tibbs was like, what are you doing, man? Like, and, and I said, no, Tom, you're the defensive coach. They need to hear your voice. If I'm there adding in, then they're not going to hear you. And I said, this is what I've been told to do by football coaches, and this is what we're going to do. It took Tibbs a good month to get comfortable with that. I started doing it in shoot-arounds, and, you know, but it allowed me to coach the team. And it, it, it gave me freedom to really hone in defensively even more so now. Because when Tibbs made a mistake, or now when Rex makes a mistake, I go to Rex and say, why did we do that? Uh, this is not what I want to do. And it, it allows the players to hear more voices. And it, it gave me freedom. But you got to be secure to do that. And, and I was young and did it. And that's the best thing I've ever done. Is it different when an African-American coach does it versus a white coach? Yeah, for sure. No right. doubt. Um, I just think for – I don't know why, but it is. Um, when I do it, uh, then that guy's coaching the team. You know, or, you know, he couldn't have done it with that or that. It's just – it just is. Um does it make it right? No. You know, is it getting better? Yes. There's no doubt about that. But unfortunately, that's the way it is. And especially uh, probably an African-American coach who also played the game. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of coaches when I took the job didn't like my success. And that was fine with that. The one thing I've not done and I probably maybe should have or, or, or I don't know because I'm very happy I never played the coaching be friendship game. I did it with coaches in other sports, mm-hmm. but I've never been one of those guys to, if we have a relationship, great if you're in the NBA, but I always have a relationship with my coaches. Uh, I don't need to have a relationship with every coach. And, but I think because I hadn't coached and then all of a sudden I'm coaching, there were coaching lifers early on that right. just, didn't like it. I think Chuck Daly helped me because he was the one pushing me to coach. Mm-hmm. And it was tough for them to argue with him. Uh, Mike Fratello helped me as well. But I was fine with that, too. You still have to earn it. And that's how I looked at it. I remember you said to me once, and you said, listen, the ex-players who come in have to learn the hours it takes yes. in the film room. And the guys who didn't play who know, okay, my edge is being the film room guy and I've come up that way or scouting – They've got to learn to be able to command the respect of the players and somewhere both of them all meet in the middle somewhere and they weed each other out. Right? That's exactly right. You know, it's funny. I had a long talk with Kendrick Perkins yesterday. 
and he wants to get into coaching. And I think his knowledge, he'll be great. And the first thing I said, Bert, if you're not ready for the hours and you're not ready to do things that you never thought you would do, demeaning at times, you know, shagging balls for some kid, you're not going to be a coach. If you're ready for the hours, then you can coach. But it takes time. Ty Lu, I made stay in L.A. one summer. I banned him from going home to Vegas. <laughs> and I told him he had to watch every game we played the year before and break down every film. And there was really no reason for it. I just did it because I, I needed him to learn that this is what work is and commitment to it. And it's the best thing that ever happened to him. And for that one year, it was the best thing that happened to me because Ty became that. You know, it's funny, and I don't know if the numbers bear this out. I hadn't really thought of it as much until you brought it up. And listen, we see players, you know, Jason Kidd made a lot of money in the NBA, wanted to coach, coach a couple teams. and But the guys like you who were not Hall of Famers, very, very good players in your era, you know, who didn't walk away from professional basketball with, you know, $250 million, was like, well, I'm going to keep working, right? We have a generation, I mean, below average players don't ever have to work again. It's different. Will they be drawn into coaching? Like when you say, like, what do I want to put myself through that? Is it, you think the pool of ex-players is smaller because they don't have to go sit and film? I don't. You know, it's funny. This is a great conversation. When I was, uh, right when I finished playing, I was doing the broadcast for the Spurs for one year. And me and Bud, of all people, had a conversation. And Bud said to me, I think you're going to be the last group of players who want to coach because guys are going to make so much money. And, you know, you know, it wasn't an argument. We were just yeah. debating it. And I said, no, I don't think so, Bud. I think guys who want to coach want to coach. They have it in them. It's not about yeah. the money. Yeah. Like, I can honestly say there's not one day that I coach, uh, wanted to coach because I thought it was a great way of living. I actually don't think it's a great way of living. I, I think it's an awful way to live, if you want to be honest. But it's a, the way I, I live, and I love it. Now, I wanted to coach because I wanted to get in the fray. That was Pat Riley's whole premise. It's like, there's no way you're not going to coach. And I said, no, I'm doing TV. It's no way. And, he, and we have we have a disagreement about it. And I said, no way. You're a fray guy. You, you have to be in the fray. There's no way you're going to sit on the sidelines and call games where you don't care who wins and loses. It's just not in you. And, you know, obviously when I took the job, Rouse was, he loved it. You know, it's like, did I tell you? And, you know, even when I took the job, I said, I didn't know how long I was going to do it. Cause I didn't, I didn't see this. It was something I wanted to do. I wanted to be an NBA player. I grew up, that was my goal. And I wanted to be that as long as I could. I never wanted to be a coach. And then when I decided I wanted to coach, I thought I want to coach, I want to figure out how to win, and then I'm out. Now, if I could do my goals as a little kid, it would be I want to be an NBA coach because I love it. And, too, I think for guys, like I said, you were a really, really good player, had a lot of success in the league for a very long time. But when you win a champion, when you become a championship coach, right, you are in a really, really a much smaller fraternity of than there are lots of championship players. Yeah. But a championship coach, boy, like it is, it validates everything. You it validates every. That doesn't mean you're not going to get criticized yeah. or you don't go through. But you can't win a championship by accident. No, you, it's, you it's no you such thing. You you have to coach your butt off. You have to get the guys to buy in. 
And the more talented the team, the more you have to make that sell pitch. You know, if Kevin Garnett and Paul and Ray and Rondo and Perk and all didn't buy in to the way I needed them to play, you know, telling them each guy had to give up 10 shots. That all sounds great. Uh, Ray, you're going to be a defensive player. Paul, Ray, you're going to give up the most. There's so many things that go into winning. Yeah, you don't luck into that. And you realize that more afterwards than you did during it. During it, you're just chasing it. I, I would say this. The first second after we won the title and I went in that office by myself, I took a deep breath. And the first thought in my mind was winning is hard. It is hard. It's yeah, I started thinking about all the things that had to happen for us to win. And I don't think people realize that. I said it the other night. Like, people say, well, you had a great team with Blake and, and DJ. And, you know, why didn't you guys win the title? And I said, we weren't good enough, you know. And we just were not. And I'm fine with that. At the time, I wasn't. But I am now. And I said, only one team gets to win per year. And that team has had to give up everything to do it. And I think. Players who never win will never understand that. Uh, they just don't. And it's you're right. That is not anything you can luck into. Doc, this is uh, it's always fun. We could do, we could always keep going. But I, <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> but, I agree. But, uh, but I appreciate it, and uh, we'll catch you soon down the road here in the playoffs. Ah, that sounds good. All right. Yes. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, Los Angeles Clippers coach Doc Rivers. Remember, you can listen to new and archive episodes of the Woj Pod on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or wherever else you get your programs. Of course, a big thank you to our sponsors, Lightstream, Wix.com, Metro by T-Mobile, and Roman.com. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at the Woj Pod. We'll catch you next time.